Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's nice to be able to speak in the morning and then be invited back that evening. You know, you've made some mistakes if you don't get the invite back. Um, but it's good to be with you. Um, just as I was listening to that video, I heard a, a quote recently that said, it's easier to say no when you have a burning yes inside of you. And what it's speaking about and some of those moral decisions we have when we really understand clearly who we are and what we're living for, it's far easier to say no to all these things because we know who we're living for and what we're here for. Tonight we're going to be looking at this topic of the Great Commission and I hope by the end you'll get a sense of this is what I'm made for and I've got a part to play in what God is doing in this world. Let me pray and we'll get stuck into it. Lord God, we thank you that we have a place to come to this evening where we can open your word and we can listen. We pray that you would speak. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit to guide us into truth, to open our eyes, to soften our hearts and enable us to believe you and obey you. We pray that you would work in us, that that would happen for us tonight. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take uh, about 10 or 15 minutes just to look at a few things. And then Ben's going to come up and we're going to do a bit of uh, interaction and question and answer. And hopefully that will help make it all practical tonight. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Um, our friend Dr. Luke wrote two books in the Bible. One is known as Luke and the second one... Uh, his sequel is known as Acts. And they overlap. Luke chapter 24, the last chapter, and Acts chapter 1, the first chapter of the sequel, they overlap. And we're going to take a look at Acts 20, or Luke 24. Um, now, there should be some slides coming up. <clears throat> They'll be on their way. Um, Acts 1 verse 8 may be familiar to you. It's where Jesus said... You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you might be familiar with those words. And I want us to think for a moment about this phrase, the ends of the earth. Now, if you've gone to a science class, you will know there is no end to the earth. We're living on this globe. But when Jesus spoke these words... He was standing in Jerusalem and he had something that he wanted to say to us. Now, I'm putting a map up on the screen and some of you might think, oh, you've got it all wrong. It's upside down. Well, it kind of is. It flips your brain a little bit. We're just used to viewing the world in a particular way. But when we read the word of God and God speaks to us, often it dramatically changes how we view the world. So this is just to get you thinking. Um, when Jesus spoke these words, he was in Jerusalem, which is right down here. And he talked about the gospel spreading from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now, some smart person has worked out that the furthest populated place from Jerusalem in the world is actually Dunedin, at the bottom of New Zealand. 
So for us located in Tassie, we are actually very close to the ends of the earth that Jesus was speaking about. Now I want you to just think through the miracles that have happened in the last 2,000 years that we can be sitting here, I can be standing here, and I'm holding a Bible written in English. A whole lot of things have happened. A whole lot of people have sacrificially served the Lord in allowing the gospel to come to this place, the scriptures to be translated from Greek and Hebrew into a language that you and I can understand, and for us to be gathering in peace to hear the word of God. Now, we must not take that for granted. We have a danger as humans that we kind of narrow everything down and we think everything starts here, but it didn't. When Jesus spoke these words, way off in the distance was him thinking in 2,000 years there's going to be a gathering in a place in Tasmania, and they're going to be hearing the words of God. What an amazing opportunity we have. If you'd like to open up to Luke chapter 24, we're just going to be reading a few short verses. The context is Jesus has died, Jesus has risen again, Jesus spent the day walking about two hours about 12 kilometers kind of from here up to maybe Lagana. And along the way, he was chatting to a few disciples and they talked about all these events that had happened. Then the disciples gather that evening and they're trying to understand what's going on. Jesus is alive, but I saw you die, but now you're alive. I see the holes in your hand. You're eating with us. This doesn't make sense. And so verse 44, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled about what is written in the book of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I am going to send you what my Father has promised. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit there. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That would have been a wonderful Bible study to be a part of. Where Jesus says this death, this resurrection that's just happened, let's go right back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis and the promise to Abraham. Let's go back to the Psalms and I'll show you the ones that speak of me and my suffering. Let's go to the book, the prophet Isaiah. (coughs) And let's see how he speaks of my suffering and death and resurrection. It would have been an incredible Bible study to be a part of. And I would encourage you later today to perhaps 
Check out the video from this morning. We unpack those things in more detail. But even as you go to bed tonight to read through Luke chapter 24, to start heading into the book of Acts, and you'll start reading the story of how these first disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, took their first baby steps as witnesses for Jesus, speaking about his death and resurrection to all that would hear. As you read through Acts, you hear death, resurrection, ascension, Holy Spirit, witness, repentance, forgiveness, all these words. I want to read some from Acts chapter 5. Peter stood up. You remember Peter, the one that was so scared that Thursday night that he didn't want to be known as a follower of Jesus? Here he is about a month and a half later and he gets up and says this, we must obey God rather than man. God raised Jesus from the dead. You killed him by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring people to repentance and forgive their sins. And we are witnesses of this. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And again and again through this book, you hear the first disciples proclaiming these truths. And it's almost like a heartbeat pulsating through these pages. It says the word of God spread. The word of God increased. The word of God grew in power. Now, the message of Jesus has spread out from Jerusalem. We'll just have that map back up. It started off in Jerusalem. Just down here, Philip spoke to the Ethiopian man, shared the gospel with him, and he took the gospel into Africa. Paul, Barnabas, Silas and Timothy, they took the gospel through Turkey to Greece, over to Rome, and they had their eyes set on Spain. Thomas and some other disciples, they headed east and took the gospel to India. That's how it started spreading. And over the last 2,000 years, more and more of the followers of Jesus have taken seriously what he said And the gospel has spread. And it's reached the ends of the earth in Launceston, Tasmania. So this is a message that we cannot just listen to and remain neutral to. This is a message that was predicted all those thousands of years before Jesus. A message that spread for 2,000 years since. And it's a message that demands a response from people like you and I. Isaiah tells us that all of us have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And in this message, we are called to repent. It's a really simple, simple word. Instead of going this direction, repent means turn around, turn away from your sin and cling to Jesus and follow him. 
It's a simple word that means do a 180-degree turn. Stop living for yourself. Start living for the Lord Jesus. Now, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 7, God gives us a picture of his global vision for humanity. We see in that vision that there is a great multitude of people, too many to count, and they come from every language group, every tribe, every people, every nation are represented. And the God who made the human race is calling people from each one to be part of this multi-ethnic and international family of God's people. It's an amazing vision. And you won't hear that destiny of the world on the news. You won't hear about it on social media. Even though that is the direction God is taking all of human history. We hear about it in the Bible. And that's where we find out what the Lord is up to in this world that he has made. This is the main game of life. This is that burning yes inside of us. To join in with what God has always been doing. And will continue to do until he finishes up this world. Calling people from every nation. To hear of the Lord Jesus. Trust and obey him. And live a life of worship. So you and I have a choice. Do we want to join in with what God is doing? We can choose to waste our lives. To fill up our lives with all sorts of distractions. Or we can choose to invest our lives. Joining in with God's mission and learning what it means to live as a witness for the Lord Jesus. Now we can do that right here where God has put us. That's where we start in the here and now. To start thinking, my family, my school, my workplace, my soccer team. Perhaps I'm the only one that knows the Lord Jesus. I need to shine brightly of him so that people can see what a life looks like in this time and place when it's fully committed to the Lord Jesus. But I want to give you a really troubling, disturbing statistic. Some of you might already be sensing within yourself, maybe there are places still in the world where the Lord Jesus is not known. Well, take stock of this. There are still three billion people scattered through the world who from birth to their death Unless something changes, they will live their whole lives without ever meeting a disciple of Jesus. Three billion people. The only way they will hear of him is if they come to us 
or if we, as this international family of believers, find a way to go to them. Now, I want to tell a story, and we'll finish with this, and then we'll head into some Q&A. Just the next one. The guy in the middle, his name is Neaton. I met him several weeks ago. We were at a conference, a leadership development program for mission leaders across um, the South Pacific. And I told him, look, I come from Tasmania. You are from Papua. I have a friend from Tassie that I know that lives in Papua. Maybe you know him. And I mentioned his name. And Neaton looked at me, smiled his big smile, but it was a sad smile. And he said, my friend, in 1968, the father of your friend, He came to the valley where my tribe lived. I am one of the Yali tribe. And your friend's father came to us. His name was Stan Dale. And my fathers and my grandfathers, we killed him. He came from your tribe in Tasmania to tell us of the Lord Jesus. But we made a terrible mistake and we killed him. I had a chance to read up on Standale's story. He was born in New South Wales. He came down to Tassie. He married um, a woman called Patricia who worked as a nurse in Lonnie General Hospital. They got married in Devonport. They lived in Wynyard. They had a few children. And then Stan remembered his days in the war in New Guinea. Remembered looking at all these tribes and thinking, these people do not know of the Lord Jesus. I must come back and tell them. And so in 1960, he and his wife and the kids headed out. A team of people back here prayed for them and supported them and encouraged them. And he spent eight years living in the jungles in Papua. In 1966, he went into one valley and he got five arrows into his body. It didn't kill him. He went to a hospital, got patched up had another two years of service. And then he and this Canadian man, Phil Masters, they walked into this valley to share the gospel with the Yali tribe and all these arrows came and both of them were killed. It was tragic. These people that were prayed for and sent from Tassie, they laid down their lives. There was a funeral a few days later where the missionary community came and gathered and they said, God, what are you doing here? We don't understand, but we will trust you. Three months later, one of the MAF planes, Mission Aviation Fellowship, were flying over. They were carrying a missionary family. Something went wrong with the plane and it crashed into the jungles of Papua. It happened to land in the Seng Valley where the Yali tribe came from. Everyone on the plane was killed except a 10-year-old boy. A search party was sent out that arrived two days after the crash. And as the search party entered this valley, they remembered this is where Stan Dale and Phil Masters were killed. 
but a 10-year-old boy came running to them. And then the men of the tribe walking behind. And they said, we made a terrible mistake three months ago. One of your people was coming to us to tell us of our creator and tell us of the good ways to walk in. And we did not want to hear and we killed him. But now God has brought you back. This 10-year-old boy was alive. We've kept him alive for two days. Please take him back. And please send someone else to teach us. We need to hear of God. We do not want to make this mistake a second time. The man in the photo, 51 years later, He's the director of mission in this denomination in Papua. One million believers. One thousand churches scattered. And his role is to help those people understand these verses and understand what does it mean as the Yali, the Dani, the other Papuan tribes. What does it mean for us to cross language and cross culture, to take the gospel where it's never been heard before, like that Tasmanian family did for us. It's incredible. Thank God that someone did that, that we might hear the gospel. But there are still three billion that need people like us to pray. And God needs to raise up some that will go. And he needs to raise up teams that will send so that the gospel can go to these ends of the earth and the Lord Jesus can be known. And people can come to worship him and give him the honor that he deserves. I'm going to pray for us and then I expect in the Q&A we'll start unpacking how can we actually get involved in this sort of work that God's doing. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for these wonderful words in the scriptures. Thank you for this family, for Stan Dale, for Patricia. Thank you for Phil Masters and his wife. Thank you for their willingness to go and for the many that stood by them to pray, to donate, to encourage, to work together that people that do not know you came to know you. Thank you for Neton and the church he's a part of. We pray for your blessing on them, that you will energize them to be the sorts of disciples that make disciples, particularly where you are not known. Please help us now as we try to unpack what it might mean for us. Please guide us that we might have this burning yes inside of us to say yes to you, and yes to all that you are doing in this world. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Graham? Now, as we've said, we're not finished yet. And maybe you have some questions that you'd like to ask Graham. Maybe they uh, might actually help the rest of us. They could be questions that we're all wondering, um, but maybe we're a bit too scared to put up our hands. So, in just a moment, I will pass the mic around for a little while and we can have a chat with Graham about this. But maybe to start the ball rolling, um, Graham, maybe you could flesh out what this looks like for you and your family over the years. 
Um, so we uh, spent five years in South Sudan, so that was a big journey, a big shift from us to move from Tasmania to a country that was in war. Um, we worked in a women and children's hospital and did a lot of discipleship in that context. Uh, it was a big journey for us as a family. Uh, war came to town a few times, so we had to step out and evacuate a couple of times. We've been back in Tassie for the last three years, and we're seeking to be useful here to the Lord, um, get involved in a lot of refugee background communities. I work as a GP and seeking to play a part in how we can be good senders now. We had a season as a goer, and now with some of that experience, seeking to be a wise and energetic and sacrificial sender. That's awesome. So you took your family to nearly the other, the other end of the earth. The other end. <laughs> nearly all the way back again. Um, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big decision. And you must have felt pretty confident that's what God was calling you and asking you to do. I hear this question a lot, especially around young people, is how do I know that God is speaking to me? How do I know that God is calling me to do something? Maybe you could, out of your experience, flesh that out for us a little bit. So I think this word calling is a bit loaded, and I think of it in two ways. There's a primary calling that all of us have, where we are called to Christ and called to repent and called to follow Him. That's the same for all of us. And then there's a secondary calling of us trying to work out, well, what does it mean for me to be a disciple? How has God wired me? What sort of things am I good at? What sort of context where are people saying, you were really made for this? I see God working through you in these ways. What sort of passions do I have that are God-given passions, not my ones, but God-given ones? What gifts is He awakening in my life? And that's where we flesh out our secondary calling. And that may change over seasons of our life. So for a season, our secondary calling was to be serving in South Sudan in that sort of cross-cultural capacity. We took some time over a few months coming back here to work out, okay, Lord, what's the next season? What's our secondary calling to be now? Our primary calling hasn't changed, to live wholeheartedly for Jesus and whatever he tells us to do. But fleshing out that secondary calling is kind of the one that you're probably mentioning. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Tommy here's got a mic, and uh, we've got some time now that we can uh, flesh some of this out or, or ask a different question, and maybe you've got something that you want to ask. So just pop up your hand, we'll run to you with a mic. Gray down the back, kick us off again. Thanks, Gray. Um, my question is, uh, and, and I'm all for missionaries and taking it to the world. What about the people in our own community? I'm not talking about the ones that are not Christians. I'm talking about the 20 and 30-year-olds that have never heard of Jesus that live here. So I think we need to express our commitment to the Great Commission in two contexts. One is the here and now where God has placed us. 
So there's many nooks and crannies of this community in Launceston where the Lord Jesus is not known. And as long as we are living here, we need to be committed to investing there. The other commitment is to be working together as this international body of believers to take the gospel to where it's not known. There are some really short four to five minute cartoon type videos um, online um, that speak of where we invest the resources of the kingdom. And it's incredibly disproportionately invested in those places where the Lord Jesus is already known. That's part of the reason for prioritizing this challenge to think of the three billion where there is nothing. The four to five billion, there's churches within access, there's face to face believers, there's access to the gospel. But for the three billion, the missionary workforce there is almost minimal. So I completely hear you, brother, brothers and or friends and neighbors here. Let's do all that we can to live for Jesus um, and make him known to them. At the same time, let's prioritize how we can reverse some of this mismatch and prioritize investment into those areas where the Lord Jesus is not known at all. Revelation 7, God doesn't want as many people as possible. He says he wants a number from every people group. And so that may mean we need to send some good people to places where he's not known and we'll sort out the stuff back here. But if we can plant a little seed of the gospel there, it's opening up the opportunity for them to hear of Jesus. Yeah. Great question. Have we got another one? Up oh, the back here. Um, I've got a couple of questions, sorry. Um, where does the three billion number come from? Yeah. So if you look on a website called the Joshua Project, they're people that have done all this sociological and statistical work to try to understand where are the ends of the earth. So they break down people groups. So that's people groups that speak a common language, have a common culture, where the gospel can kind of spread reasonably easily. Um, a different people group is where it's got to cross a language, cross a caste, across a significant cultural barrier. And so they look at each of these people groups and try to work out how many Bible-believing believers are there and how many churches are there that are Great Commission-type churches. And based on those numbers, they work out which people groups have the capacity within them um, to self-perpetuate to train pastors, train leaders, gather as believers, have a Bible in their own language, train people as disciple makers. They would consider those people groups as having the nucleus to be able to do an active work. And so then they look at the people groups where there is not any of that, or it's only in part, or as far as we know, there are no believers at all. And so the only way for the gospel to get established there 
is for people from a different language, different culture to come and enter and then partner and as local believers are raised up to work together as brothers and sisters to equip and strengthen so the Spirit can awaken a church that can then train pastors and self-perpetuate and be part of this international effort of disciple-making. And uh, once that's done, the second return of God will come? Is that what it says in the Bible? Uh, there are verses that talk about once the gospel is proclaimed in all the people groups, that in many ways that's the purpose of God in all of history. So there is a motivation there um, to be part of that culminating of the reason why God has made this world. Yeah. Thank you. Anyone else? I have a question. Um, so we're talking about really big um, concepts here. Um, so bringing it to a uh, more practical, everyday kind of level, are there things that you do each and every day to live out the Great Commission in your life? And what would you encourage us to do as yeah. daily habits and routines? Really good question. Um, the first thing is live out your primary calling to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Every day to be cultivating that relationship, seeking this God who has this global vision, seeking him in the scriptures and cultivating that prayerful walk with him. The closer we come to him, the more we have a global heart for the nations. A second thing can be doing that sort of research, finding out about these people groups. Instead of looking at the news or Facebook or Instagram for our information, to truly seek out, God, who are the people in the world that you've made? A help for that, this 31-day prayer guide. You can Google it, free download. Um, it's done by go31.org. And it's got information of the 31 largest people groups that are considered to be unreached. 31 so that you can pray for one every day for a month. I'm going to aim to do that in December so I can get to know where are these people groups and what's going on. Another help, we're involved in an organisation, Pioneers. There's many good mission organisations, WEC, SIM, InterServe, Wycliffe, many of them. I've got a few magazines that Pioneers puts out for this very reason. I want to take an active step. What is going on? What are the stories? What's the Lord doing? Um, there's about three or four different editions here. Feel free to grab one. They're free. Uh, they'll give links to websites where you can hear some of these stories. One final thing. You mentioned about calling before. Um, there's a passage in Acts 15. All the leaders of the church came together. They had to make a decision. And they end up coming to a decision and they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It's an incredible thing that they said. You know how sometimes you hear stories, well, God told me to go there, so get out of my way. That's what I'm doing. Okay? God doesn't guide like that. God speaks. He speaks to his people. He may speak to you. 
It gets tested in community, people that know you, with mentors, with family. So part of working out a next step, I think, is to get actively engaged in communities of faith, mentoring relationships, people that can get to know you well enough to help you work out that secondary call. Who are you? How are you wired? What's the Lord saying? Okay, that's what he said to you, maybe. What about this? Oh, yeah, okay. You might need to read here, think here, pray here, speak to this person. It's in community that we flesh it out. And let's believe that the Holy Spirit who wants to make Jesus known will be raising people up. And he'll be affirming that in communities of faith where hopefully we can get to the point where someone gets raised up and in a year or two, our brother Ben and his family, he's walked this journey and we can see it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We see the Lord at work. This is the next step. Brother, sister, you go. We've got your back. We'll pray. We'll encourage. We'll network whatever it takes, so you can live out that secondary calling that the Lord has revealed and made clear. Really good question. Um, I know that we've gone big picture, and those practicalities, really important to flesh out and work out. Well, as the band and, and vocals come up, we're going to keep on singing just a moment, but can we thank Graham one more time?